0: Hello and welcome to Leaving Egypt. I'm Jenny Sinclair. And I'm Al Roxborough. This podcast is for you if you want to explore the unfolding vocation of the Church in these times of unravelling.
1: We'll be doing two things. Reading the signs of the times and sharing grassroots stories. We'll be having some brilliant conversations with fascinating people. And we'll discover how local expressions of God's people are contributing to the reweaving of hope. In our common life.
0: We do hope you enjoy listening to this episode of Leaving Egypt. So, our guest today is Hannah Vaughan Spruce, calling from North Devon on the south coast of England. Hannah leads the UK branch of Divine Renovation. And in her ministry, she's building up the confidence of Catholic parishes wanting to be more closely involved in God's mission in this time of
1: great change. Hannah, welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah, one of the first things we want to do is introduce you to our listeners. So just take a moment and give us a flavor of who you are and a little bit of what's been your journey through life. Sure,
2: yeah. Um, well, I think that one of the most significant things for me in my life is is I'm consecrated. So I'm consecrated woman, Catholic, um, living in the world, which is, is quite an unusual um vocation in the in the catholic church but certainly within other christian traditions i don't think you would would come acro- across this um very often but um yeah always grown up um in the faith um, within the catholic faith um, it became very real to me kind of in my in my late teenage years i had i had a bit of a conversion at that point and since then um j- yeah just have, have always had a passion uh, for the church to be as alive and outward facing and missional as as the church can be. And so, yeah, I've always worked in different roles, um, both in, in parishes and in Catholic dioceses as well, um, with a focus on mission. Um, and then in the last six years have been working with Divine Renovation, which truly has been such a joy in my life. Um, it's just been incredible what we're seeing.
1: Yeah. Well, tell us about this joy, this divine (laughs) renovation. Uh, What is it? And uh, as you begin to describe that, uh, again, think about a lot of people listening to this will be non-Catholic, Protestants across different denominations, but tell us about divine renovation and why it's a joy for you
2: yeah I mean you know it it's not a surprise to anyone listening to say that the church is seeing great decline in the West, and that's certainly true in in the Catholic Church um we're seeing a real uh hemorrhaging from our parishes in many ways, and you know just many of the ways that Catholic parishes have functioned in the past um is not working today. people are just falling away people are just uh are uh, uh, leaving their churches and so I think over the last 50 years, certainly there's been signs of new life in the Catholic Church, um, but not so much in the institutional church. It would it would certainly be around the edges. And so Divine Renovation is a ministry that started in Canada, actually, so out from your own country. Um, on the other coast, though, it's Halifax, Nova Scotia, so it couldn't be further away from where you are.
1: <laughs> Five hours away.
2: Right. Yeah. Um, and the priest who who really started it, his name is Father James Mallon, and and he was in his own parish in, in Nova Scotia, which, you know, Nova Scotia is is pretty, um, you know, in terms of its Christian faith, it's, it's pretty secular. And, you know, he knew that if he continued um, doing the same old thing in his parish in Nova Scotia, he, he would see the same decline as every other Catholic parish in the West. You know, people would just gradually... Uh, fall away and in 10 years time they'd be closing or but they'd be merging with another parish and yet um yeah Father James could really see that outside of the parish structure you know outside of the institution um there was all kinds of signs of new life in movements, in other initiatives um in youth movements but it just wasn't in the parish the parish was dead and so he just had this instinct you know if, if the Holy Spirit can bring Um, new life into the church in this time when we're seeing such secularisation, surely this new life can be experienced in the parish as well. So that was his instinct. um, And this was probably, I don't know, from about 2010 onwards. So, um, you know, a a good time ago now. And he said, well, you know, let's see what we can do differently in, in the Catholic parish. And so, he kind of threw out the rule book a little bit and um, said, you know, what what are the pastoral approaches we can take as a Catholic parish um, that are going to attract people in, that are going to foster really compelling community life that sustains people so that parish experience is not just an anonymous experience um, and that we can actually be effective in our neighborhoods and actually um, be a presence that you know. If this church stopped existing, people would actually notice, right? Because I think so many Catholic churches, if they closed, no one would notice. Uh, so, so he did this, and um, uh, they they had a new approach to to three things really: to evangelization. How do we make evangelism right at the center of, of the, the heart of the identity of the parish? Secondly, a focus on leadership principles um you know catholic priests are often trained thoroughly in philosophy and theology through many young long years in seminary but not so much in leadership like just the practical stuff and so he he realized that that was a gap for him and he he got his own coaching and, and leadership and started bringing those principles into the life of the parish and then the third um approach was and and this is really the first it's it's the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, how do we how do we realize that we, we cannot do this in our own strength? We can't reform any community in our own strength. We can't renew the church in our own strength. Um, so what does it look like to have just a, a new radical dependence on the Holy Spirit? So those were the three things. They saw many fruits. And uh, he wrote a book about those fruits, which was called Divine Renovation. And this book just spread like wildfire. It spread around the world, translated into you know, many different languages. It just kind of sparked the imagination of many Catholic parishes all over the place because they could recognize, yeah, we're we're seeing exactly the same things. Father James has kind of named the named what we're experiencing. And not only has he named what we're experiencing, he's starting to identify um, a new model that. That is more that is more relevant. That's more fruitful. That's um, yeah, culturally appropriated to what the church is experiencing today um, in our context. So yeah, so that's the beginnings of of, of divine renovation, anyway. So
0: a couple of things you said there that really stood out for me. One was when you said not anonymous. There's something mm-hmm. there that implies that what's happening in terms of the the new emerging. Uh, forms that you're talking about is something to do with being not anonymous. Can you tell us a bit more about that? What's the relational side of right. this that you're seeing happening?
2: Yeah. So I think certainly within the Catholic context, um, we we talk a lot of we talk a little bit about how the model in the past has been a kind of Christendom model. I don't know maybe whether that's been that's a term that you've used in the in the podcast or not, but. Just, just a model of of the church, which is very um, institutional, focused on structure, focused on you know perhaps a cultural faith rather than a you know um, a faith that's um, that's truly um, experienced or or personal. And I think that you know we're still emerging from that form of the church. Um, this is. relationship to the unravelling that I know that you talk about you know I I, I do think that that is the form of the Catholic Church certainly that is unravelling and when you're in that Christendom model church you know your community isn't necessarily your church right your community is is all the other ways that you find community in society in in clubs and you know um, whatever that that looks like um, but I think you know so much of that today in the 21st century, we know it's we, we know it's broken down. We know that you know there's there's a fragmentation in 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 society um, that that, um, yeah, just isolates people. it's It's turbocharged, of course, by the digital culture. Um, and so when you have this old form of parish life where people go there, Anonymously because they don't necessarily need that as their their form of community. Um, and then you combine it with the isolation that we experience in postmodern culture, you know, that's that's a recipe for just like intense isolation, right? You've got one on top of the other. And so, um my goodness, you know, that is not the kind of church Jesus ever imagined to <laughs> imagined or dreamed of. And so, yeah, just that if we can overcome that anonymity and that isolation, you know, I think that's the the very first step for, for Christianity. So tell us a bit
0: about what you're seeing happening mm. on the ground. You know, when you're talking about these emerging new, the Holy Spirit working, what are you seeing among people?
2: Yeah. Well I think one of the things that we're we're emphasizing, you know, as we coach and walk with parishes is, you know, belonging has to come first. So what does it look like to invite people into a community where they feel like they belong before you even propose the gospel to them, before you even um say, you know, we, we have such standards of um, you know, how people's lifestyles and behaviors and, you know, but but let's let's not make let let's not talk about anything like that before people belong. And so um yeah, we're seeing I mean, just speaking in the UK um context, and, and this is where the joy comes from that I that I that I shared right at the start because you know, the UK is such a secular country. Um, you know, all of these things that we've been talk, talking about are just so pronounced in the UK. And yet, when you see a parish where they start to put an emphasis not on maintaining the structures, not on maintaining the systems, but actually, um, uh, actually, uh, you know, how, how do we invite people into to a place that they belong? Um, it's, it's really beautiful. So, you start seeing. Um, yeah, community form where people know each other. They actually know They know the people sitting around them, which sounds like such a basic thing. But, you know, in many Catholic churches, that wouldn't be the case that you would even know the names of the people on the pew beside you. Um, so we're seeing, um, you know, just forms of community where, you know, when, when someone is in, in need, someone's in hospital, for example, other people actually know about that and they'll actually go and, see if they need anything and they'll go and pray with them or, um, you know, it, it just, these forms of community seem, seem obvious when you live a human life, but, um, they're actually just not embodied, um, often. So, so yeah, it's joyful to see that.
1: So you're, um, when you talk about the beginnings of this and the the writing of the book, Divine Renovation, um, what we're saying is that across the Catholic Church, it hit a nerve or, or it spoke into a moment and a time and a place um, and it is creating yeah. a whole lot of life and energy. Um, right. That, so there's a sense in which there's a readiness out there. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond the structures and the forms, in the people in the ground, there's a readiness yeah. So when you, you, you or others go into a parish, who are saying, "Hey, this divine renovation stuff," not quite sure I understand it, but uh, it, it sounds like. What do you do?
2: <laughs> so we 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 do lots of different things. I mean, we find that that um, priests especially have to go on a bit of a journey with it first. So so one of the main things we do is is to inspire. So what does it look like? To, what does it look like concretely? So we tell the stories of parishes. We sh- we share those stories. Um, we have our own podcast as well. Where we share share stories. We have different books. Um, we do online events and webinars. And that's around inspiring um, parish priests to see, okay, this is possible. And um, I can see it happening in another parish and I can imagine it happening in, in my own. Um the next thing we do is we we equip them so we 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 accompany parishes that's the very kind of concrete and practical thing that we do so we we accompany them with with coaching um we um the there are 130 uh, priests at the moment in the UK who are receiving that that coaching from us and and we give coaching in in all kinds of different areas so how to form a leadership team around you so that you're not isolated leading in an isolated way um again that's like it's it sounds so obvious but it's kind of revolutionary in the Catholic Church um how to um enter into healthy conflict in your team how to have a team you know based in in trust and you know vulnerability based trust um how to uh you know introduce an evangelization uh, tool at the heart of the parish so that everything is about that evangelization gateway to invite people in to to actually know and have a relationship with Jesus first and foremost. Because, you know, often in the parish it gets lost that this is what we're about. is about people knowing Jesus with all the other stuff that goes on. Um, it's about, you know, what is the Sunday experience of people when they, when they walk through onto the onto the site on a Sunday you know what what do people experience when they come in like you're just getting down to the the basics like right, the yeah. the music the preaching the the hospitality you know we'll kind of um coach them through through all of through all of those as well so th- that's just that's just some of the things
1: you talked about three things i've heard you may have yeah. inspire equip
2: and then the third thing is to connect,
1: connect. to connect
2: because what we've realized is, you know, there are, there are all kinds of theories about, um, about, you know, mass organizational change. And I think this is, this is kind of what we're talking about in, in the Catholic Church. It's, it's how, how we're moving from, you know, a model that's dying out to, to a new emerging model. And, um, and one of the things that we recognize is, is very important is that, um, we form communities of practice where, where parishes recognise, you know, I'm not the only one doing this. Um, in fact, there are there are five others, you know, not too far from me, and and you know, we're operating in a very different way. We're operating in a different way from from the the, the kind of um, traditional way of the received wisdom that we've had for for decades and centuries. Um, and so we connect those to each other. So we're connecting the priests to each other. We're connecting the lay. Leadership teams with each other because um, we at Divine Renovation we're not we're not the experts but we want to facilitate those churches being um, learning from each other because there's just so much that um, that they that they're learning on the ground so that's the third bit yeah
1: the yeah. interest in your observations one of the things you talked about in this equipping is that you you talked about accompanying
2: mm.
1: and uh, so be interested in your reflections because. That's, this is exactly what I find, is that when you're working with a parish or a congregation, um, the introducing new ideas or new actions or activities is one thing, but the need to walk with people um, mm-hmm. in a pretty close way for a period mm-hmm. of time is really, really important. Um, yeah. What have you observed there?
2: Yeah, yeah. This is so powerful because what I see, especially with with priests, and they would be the primary people that we accompany. um, You know, the the structures are such that they that that they're very very alone often. Yeah, and, very um, much so. Yeah, you know, they're, they're living alone. Um, they might not have any staff employed um, at all, in, in this certainly in this country, um, they're, they're reliant on volunteers who you know might be um, dropping dropping out. You know, we've we've seen a lot that happen in, in lots of places, especially since the pandemic. And so we found that you know to have um, that yeah, there's a great hunger in in the priests that we support to have that person who is outside of their context but yet knows knows the reality on the ground. So one of the values is that the people who accompany are always people who have experience from the trench from the trenches in other words they're practitioners That's great. They're, That's great. they're not just yeah. experts they've yeah. done this themselves. Yeah. Um, I'm really struck
0: by this um this atomized uh state that the church leaders have found themselves in. Yeah. And it, it it really feels um no accident doesn't it that you know we've been in this culture of individualism really intensely for yeah. at least 5 decades some some would argue longer and the yeah. church has not escaped this culture and it's really affected the form of leadership that yeah. um people have found themselves and you you referred earlier to you know people getting lots of qualifications as theologians and so on but but not having the kind of leadership that's needed to be pastoral or to yeah. be engaged in relationship with your neighbors or with people in your congregation, yeah and and then, because of the structural decline, what perhaps would have been um a communal life, you know, sharing a house with perhaps you know another priest or other religious sisters or other people yeah. in the house, suddenly they're on their own yeah and and it's a really lonely, difficult yeah. place to be and and we certainly. Both Al and I, in, in the relationships we have, we come across this all the time. Yeah. And there's this sense of somehow, somewhere along the way, church leaders got the idea that they had to be the rescuer, the saviour, in sense. Yeah. Um, and that it was all resting on their shoulders. And this is too much for a person. Yeah. And so it sounds to me what you're, you're feeling your way into this is uh, almost like a, going back to the model of the early church. Where it's yeah. a shared, sort of distributed, kind of leadership, which feels far healthier, and the connections you're talking about, that you're making between parishes, between leaders, to provide company. Yeah. So people are not alone, and to share what they're hearing. You know, how is how is God speaking to them? Yeah. In their in their dif- difficulty, and sharing that through vulnerability. That's something we found as well. Is when yes. people are given the opportunity, permission, if you like, to be vulnerable. Yeah. That's actually very releasing for church leaders,
2: yeah, yeah, it's incredible, it's incredible like you know what an unhealthy situation this is like you're right it's been created it's been created by the individualism in society, and you'd have thought that the church would be the one to, to um to counter that with with a healthy examples of community, and yet we've exacerbated it enormously especially for the priesthood you know who are the who are the leaders you know within the church um and so yeah so they find themselves in in very you know yeah just un- unhealthy um ways of of um unhealthy ways of leadership um and and unhealthy for them and unhealthy for the people around them i mean we need to be in relationship with people so that um we can operate you know fully as as, as human beings um that we know um, that we know that we're loved, you know, that's the absolute basis of being able to, to operate in a healthy way as a human being, to have that experience of, of being loved and um, to be able, therefore, in that context to, um, receive feedback or to know what my blind spots are and, you know, know what my weaknesses are. And yet even knowing what my weaknesses are, knowing that those around me, you know, still love me and, and support me and have my back. And I, I think, you know, those basic human experiences that we would have in a healthy community, I just think that those experiences are not what priests, Catholic priests experience um, on a daily basis, which is so yeah. sad.
1: Well, it gets ex- um, it gets exacerbated for clergy because what you're describing, yeah. I can say ditto for lots of Protestant clergy. And um, it, what I find fascinating is that um, this individualism, this I can, I can go it alone, I can do it myself, or this is the way we do it, it in many ways, in a warped way, it worked. Um, and it worked because in people's occupations and ways of life, there was success. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing that's being taken away from the churches. Um, they're, they're at the front end of this unraveling, and people aren't turning up. So now that being alone on your own just gets exacerbated massively. And it mm-hmm. sounds like, um, so more than a comment, a question, but it sounds like then that this is far more a moment in which to say to whether priest or people in the parish, we do need to belong with one another. That yeah. that That's a moment now that that really touches a deep, deep nerve. That that would that would be my observation. I don't know whether you would see it that way or not.
2: Yeah. Oh, for sure. I, I've seen so many cases now of priests saying, um, this has actually saved their ministry. Isn't like, that wonderful? They're, they're in priesthood today. They're still a priest today because they now have people around them mm-hmm. and
1: mm-hmm.
2: they wouldn't be otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just... It's just beautiful, um, and you know, just seeing. You know, we we've seen we've seen priests as well go through tough times. You know, um, ha- having to take time out, and you know, but you know, let's face things head on, and and then they come back, and you know, they're in a context where, yeah, their their team is is still there. They've got their back. Um, That's a they big can deal, be yeah. they can be real with them. You know, because I think so much. You know, we've seen. This is such a, you know, this is we see this so much in the church, where, where we're just not real about things, you know. Let let's let's hide things, let's let's fake it, let's you know a kind of performance mentality, and it's just the most unhealthy way of being a human being. But that's so much how the church operates, and uh, and and we need to be um, we need to be in communities, in groups of people where we can be real, like the good, the bad, and the ugly, where people can see us as we are.
1: So I want to ask you. One more question, and then get to the one thing we haven't talked about, uh, mm-hmm. which is the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah. The, 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 um, so as I listen to you, as, as a Catholic, describing divine renovation, uh, I go back, and in, in a Protestant context, I have what was called Renewal. And so, back in the, oh, as far back as the 70s and 80s, a church renewal. And mm-hmm. a lot of that church renewal were, you know, how do we move from the dominance of the clergy to the, to the priesthood? Uh, how do we build relationality? This is when small groups became a big thing and all of that was going on. So, you had this uh, church renewal going on. And then... Leadership development. We need new forms of leadership, and so a big emphasis on teaching, uh, you, you know, how to be entrepreneurial or how to be adaptive or how to be innovative, and on and on. So all of that was going on uh, in the in the church as well. And then alongside of that, and they weren't all the same, but someone could have, was was what charismatic renewal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the, this whole movement about attending to the Holy Spirit. Now, I think that went off in some not helpful directions, but here's the mm. question I'm asking before we get to the Holy Spirit. Mm. What you're doing in, in Divine Renovation sounds an awful lot like the renewal leadership movements in Protestant churches in, from about the 80s onward. Uh, that began with lots of energy and innovation, and, and haven't done a thing. Oh, really? <laughs> haven't done a thing. Yeah. I love it. And, wow. and of course, you've got to ask the question: Why is that the case? Uh, you know. Yeah. Which I'm happy to jump into, but um, hmm. so part is I listen. I listen with with joy at what you're describing, and part of my suspicion is that. Here we are in the early two thousand and twenties, probably at a time when people's sense of isolation and breakdown is now profoundly heightened, and so there may be a far greater openness to what you are doing and you are describing. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, maybe. Do you know what? What's interesting actually is so I'm based in the UK, but obviously you know Divine Renovation operates in different countries, including the US, Canada um Australia and so so i i see quite a lot of the differences between the countries and i you know i think the uk is probably one of the countries is, that's on the forefront of secularization and I, I would definitely say the experience of our team and of our coaches would be that um it's th- like there's more of a desperation for it the more secular a country is
1: yeah
2: so, yeah. yeah, so I think the USA, certainly, um, you know, the church over there, um, they have so many different parish renewal ministries, right? This is like the, the, the latest fashionable thing um, in the Catholic Church. And we, we don't in the UK, really. Divine Renovation is the only one really operating. Ah, that's interesting. Um, yeah. and um, But of course, the, US, the, the church in the USA is a very, very different um, beast uh-huh. and... A lot more resourced than it is in the UK. Like we're much, yeah, we're just a poorer church. We're um, um, far, far less, far less resourced, and 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 our and our culture is is a, is far more secular. So I know that our, you know, coaches will say they just love working with the UK priests because there's just a hunger in 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 them in a way that there, there might not there might be less of it in in the US.
1: Yeah, I think that's quite accurate. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But but do you think that the
0: hunger is a hunger to return to the way things were, or a hunger to listen to God to be led into a new place?
2: Oh, like without a doubt to be led into a new place. Like these guys, like there's just, there's just, there's no one I can think of who has any kind of attraction to any of the stuff of the part, you know, clericalism is just gone. It's just like this, it's just their experience of this new way of being, of being, of having real, yeah, relationships and co-responsibility with with lay leaders? That I think is the answer to Al's question,
0: is that things got so bad that they just don't want to go back.
1: Yeah, I think that's part of what it is, yeah. The the other part uh, Hannah, I'd like to check, I'd love to check with you, and I I think you're you're right Jenny in, in that response, is that my observation is that it's just now beginning to change, but up to this point, the conversations amongst clergy, whether that's the top of the hierarchy or in the local, all, almost all of those conversations are around what I call, how do we fix the church? Mm-hmm. And part of what you're describing, because uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth and you may disagree, is that mm-hmm. what you're experiencing are increasingly younger leaders who go, that's not where I dwell. I don't want to do that. It's how do we experience the vitality of God's presence in this place well i mean is that right am i or, or not
2: yeah um i think so um i think yeah yeah for for young people um just just um you know so, so many of the forms of the past are just it's just irrelevant now you know it's just not even in in question and and yet and i think certainly since the pandemic as well i think it's kind of accelerated this whole process that you know now it's less about you know what's my, you know, territorial parish or, or where do I attend church? But much more about who who are my community and you know which is the community of disciples that I, um, that I belong to that I you know where I experience God. Yeah, how how am I experiencing God? And so yeah, just that genuine. I, I see a greater hunger actually, a hunger for God. You know, just a greater hunger, and people are willing to go. Further, they're willing to travel further. They're willing to, you know, um, do whatever it takes to access and to be close to, you know, whatever that is that's going to that's going to keep them um, closer to the Lord and um, closer to a community that sustains them. So that that raises the
0: question about place, then, doesn't it? If people yeah. are willing to travel to find what what then happens to the relationship of church with place, which which for us is very important. And I, I think historically it's been very important for, for the history of the church, relationship with people, because people live in a place, people are embodied and the church needs yeah. to be aside, alongside people in that kind of covenantal relationship with place. So sure. what happens in that case?
2: Well, I mean, I think it's just, you know, we know now in the UK, certainly there's, there's a restructuring process going on. In every single diocese, so you know, ten years, five years from now, there's going to be so, so many fewer parishes than um than than there are today. We've got way too many buildings, you know, yeah, way too many buildings. Um, in terms of, so so certainly, I think the the future is people are going to travel further. Um, certainly to the, but but I mean that doesn't, yeah, I don't I don't know how much that will affect place. See, I think there's there's another discussion to be had there around,
0: you know, what do you do with the buildings? Do you just yeah. sell them and uh, take the capital or do you look at repurposing buildings, you know, within partnership with the community, for example, yeah. to affordable housing or, or whatever, while retaining a sanctuary, for example, making making covenantal deeds so that it always belongs mm-hmm. to the church so the church doesn't lose its relationship with place? Yeah. I I, I don't see as much... Uh, creativity in that area, with yeah. in, in the Catholic Church as I do in in other denominations. Obviously, everyone's strapped for cash, and people are just desperate to get as much money they as they can in the short term by selling things. But I, it really disturbs me, actually, the sort of speed of the fire sale of selling off churches.
2: I know, I know. You know,
0: and there's, there's a sense also of you know, well, who who actually owns them? Who built them? Who paid for them? I is o- often it was the people. It was somebody's great grandmother, you know, who put in a few quid to buy that, you know, to pay, pay for the building of that church, and now it's being sold. Yeah. And obviously, times have changed so radically that that there seems to be no alternative. But sometimes I feel yeah. things are moving so fast in these dioceses, and I do really feel for the bishops with these sort of terrible decisions they have to make. Yeah. Really horrific decisions so quickly.
2: Yeah. But the loss. The loss is going to be permanent,
0: right in that respect.
2: I, and I mean, I mean, this really speaks to the 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 kind of um situation we're we're in. We're in a, a kind of a, a chaotic situation where you know, in any chaotic situation, you need quite adaptive and innovative leadership. And I think this is what we're lacking at that level in the church because we've got. You know, clergy who are trained and conditioned to be system managers. So they're still, you know, they're still operating with it with that mindset. Whereas we we need leadership which will think outside of the box. And and sadly, that that's precisely what we need right now. And we just don't have it's in very short supply.
1: Yeah. So that that leads me to this other piece because when I was reading your material. Um, I, and you've mentioned some of it. The uh, you, you're bringing in leadership principles, uh, and you've just described some of those innovation, mm-hmm. adaptation, all of that. Uh, but the other thing that, uh, as I was reading, that, that that seemed to me to be quite significant in what you're doing in reinnovation, is about is the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about that and then i want to i want to link back to the leadership question yeah so what what is it that's going on in terms of the the power of the spirit in the midst of what you're doing sure
2: i think this this also links to the to the realization of of how dire the situation is you know this point of desperation because i think you you almost need to get to that point where you like let go of your own um you know, I think, again, it's such a Western mentality. We have such a sense of um, we can do this. We can fix it. You know, we just need to try harder. Um, self-reliance, you know. And and I think, you know, it, it's got to the point where God's just like, enough is enough. You cannot do this. You cannot do this. This is too, this is, this is so beyond your strength. Um, and, you know, this was Father James... I think you know this was a personal revelation for him you know when he when he um first began this in in his parish I think you know there's got to come a point where when you're really on your knees and and you can say Lord I I just cannot I, I can't do this I don't have what it takes this is too big for me and you know we all know um Yeah, maybe we've experienced this personally where, you know, that is precisely the moment where God breaks in and he, and, and he takes over and, um, and, and it becomes his thing. And, and, and we can just start, um, yeah, decreasing so that he might increase. You know, I think that's the thing. And again, it's about a a kind of leadership where, yeah, I'm not a hero leader in the center that's going to save anybody. Like, no, Jesus. Jesus is at the center of our community. He He is the savior and we cannot save the church. This is his church. And, um, you know, how can we lead people into such a relationship with him that, that, that you know, he is truly, he, yeah, he's truly lifted high in our communities. I think we've, you know, again, it's part of that Christendom model where we became so reliant on our institutions, on our um, cultural achievements that, um it, it you know it just risks becoming a very human construction and uh and and yeah it's getting back to the early church See. where uh it, you know it's only down to the the holy spirit that, that that things can change yeah
1: so how does that um got a couple of other questions here uh how does that work itself out in a local parish in other words um hmm. So let me give you an example and see if it makes sense. Um, And Jenny, you would know this better. But also within the Catholic Church, there's a whole movement called uh, Synodality. Yeah. And as I understand it, an element of that movement is how the people of a parish begin to learn together how to listen to the Spirit through one another. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is that the sort of thing that you're doing and is going on in divine renovation?
2: yeah, I mean I think the the first thing is is that people uh, and this this would would certainly be where we we start is people need a relationship with the Holy Spirit first. you know you can't listen to the Holy Spirit unless unless you 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 have some kind of relationship or know who he is and again that would be a huge thing still within within the catholic church and this is where most parishes begin it's why so many parishes begin with alpha for example as a a tool to um, bring people into relationship with with god um uh yeah you know this would be such a thing where where for many of us being catholic is like a, a cultural reality we go because you know our families always has, always and it, do, it doesn't mean just because you're there on a Sunday, it doesn't mean that you've that you've um, had a kind of um, personal, lived, daily relationship with 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 Christ. But this is
0: quite shocking, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, it's quite shocking that the church has not formed its own people with this 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 core um, practice. Yeah. I mean yeah. I found that I found that really shocking. You know, when I sort of just I am a convert I converted, you know, a good number of thirty odd years ago. And yeah. nobody taught me about the relationship yeah. with the Holy Spirit. No. Uh it it happened to me later, sort of it just barged into my life. But um as it does. But um many people can go through a whole lifetime yes. without actually having a relationship with the Holy Spirit and carry on going to mass every week. Yes. And that's that is truly shocking. And that yeah. now that this is happening through Divine Renovation and through Synodality and, and some other movements, I think, as well. Yeah. There is a sense that God is doing something. Yeah. And people, as you said, you pointed out this hunger that um, is being met, you know, beginning to be met, shall we say. Yeah. But it's it's been um, well overdue and something went terribly wrong that that formation didn't happen.
2: I think it's linked to this question of anonymity that we've, Talked about yeah. at the start, you know. Often, I think, you know, there's just a culture in parishes where faith is very private, so we don't talk about faith. And then, if you don't talk about it, you 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 actually don't know what it is. You don't you don't know what a relationship with God is. And so that's how I grew up as a child. Like no no one talked about you know relationship with God. You know that 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 transforming encounter with with God. And so if no one talks about it, then you don't think it's you never would expect to have it personally, um, and it was only when I was seventeen when I went on a retreat where that was actually spoken about, and I and I had a, a transformational experience that weekend, which which changed me. But um, but yeah, it's it is shocking, and still today we still don't talk about it, <laughs> you know. But but I, so I think the synodality thing is a beautiful, it's a beautiful innovation in the church. It, well, not an innovation. It it does go back to the the early church, so it's a beautiful development, I think, for this time. But at the same time, if it's not based on people having a personal relationship and knowing how to listen to the Holy Spirit first, it can be a bit of a um, I don't know, like a a talking shop of of everyone fighting with their own opinion. So, yeah, it's it's certainly become. It's been captured
0: and hijacked for various different reasons, but I think what what we're interested in about synodality Sim- is not the certainly not the political side, the way it's been weaponized at all. No, but no. it's the um, the conversation in the spirit that interests
1: us. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. that's the, the um, as a Protestant, I don't know all the inside stuff around the things you're describing. Um, the so I think Jenny's quite right, is that what 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 I have in mind is are the ways in which you uh, the people of a congregation are invited to begin to listen to the spirit through one another. You know because obviously that there's a there's a theology behind that, which is the spirit is actually present. Uh, that God is at yeah. work. Um, yeah. <laughs> the, 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 that, that's the that's the power of the gospel life is that God's up to stuff. Um, yes and yes. Um, and we are, we are inviting each other to come and join with what God is doing. But that joining is dependent upon us, listening and hearing to what the Spirit is doing. And so I, yes. was, I was wondering about the extent to which in divine revela- divine renovation, you mm-hmm. are inviting people into those kinds of experiences.
2: Yeah, I mean, for sure. Like that would be part of the the leadership coaching that we do. It's, you know, it's, it's how to listen. Yeah, how, how to listen to your team, how to, how to, how to build a team that is going to balance you out because that's the other um you know risk that we have is we we bring people in who who are like ourselves <laughs> or or the voices who who are similar to us or who see the world the same way that we do and i think there there's a real challenge to to you know as a leader to to bring together a team of people who who you know they they see things differently to you and actually you might it, it's it can be quite hard to work together but i think actually the the um the 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 humility and the um, the uh, just uh, commitment to relationship that there can be in in those kinds of situations I I see that that is where God works you know like that's where God works and it's not just through us you know triumphing with our wonderful ideas you know that, that can you know moments of genius that individuals have no that there's just something um, there's just something very, very much, much stronger, um, when when people are giving way to each other, when there's that kind of, um, you know, like yeah, just just the the the, the sanctifying process of sure. of, of like yeah. the rubbing against yeah. each other, you know, and I think that's where where the beauty comes from, yeah. Well, I'm kind of um,
0: think I'm hearing you say that, um, by coaching the priests in in a new kind of different kind of leadership then that in in turn creates a change in the culture within the relationships of people in the parish. So what I'm interested to know is, does do you think that then is it does it cascade down by osmosis or does the does the priest then help his congregation learn how to listen to each hmm. other, to the Holy Spirit? Do you know what I mean? How how yeah. how does that ricochet out? How does that cascade out in terms of uh, forming a congregation of people of christians who who become so attentive to the holy spirit that they're not only listening to each other becoming a stronger internally focused community but also an outwardly focused community within the neighborhood that's that's another step yeah i'm I'm interested to know how maybe maybe that's another phase um you know perhaps a a church or parish needs to build up a sense of its own identity first how do yeah. you see that process
2: yeah I, I feel I, I still feel like we've got a long way to go like we've been going now in the UK for six years mm. and so the parishes that were involved right at the start you know and there's only two or three of them really you know who, who are furthest ahead they've been going for six years And so after, after six years, you know, in those parishes, we see, you know, lots of fruit, you know, it's, it's really, really, it's beautiful, but, but still it's tough. You know, it's so tough changing a culture, changing the habits of a lifetime. It's very tough. Oh my goodness. So I'd hope, you know, give, give another 10 years and and there may be even more flourishing, but I I see this is, you know, this is generational change ahead of us. These, this is not quick fixes, um, And it's going to be, yeah. That's good. I was struck
0: by what you were saying earlier about, um, you know, ironic that, you know, the church should should have been, you know, one of the institutions that held out against individualism and, and didn't. And you know, my knowledge of Catholic social teaching, you know, has it very clear that we are relational beings. You know, we're made in the image of God and we are relational. We're not meant to be atomized, separated, isolated individuals. That's an unnatural state. Yeah. And and the more I learn about that, the more it seems so straightforward and simple to me that the church must be relational. Yes. It's fundamental. And that means in relationship with its neighbors. So it means the... The group, the con, the congregation, whoever, whoever those people are, that's the part of their their mission is to be in relationship with their neighbours and yeah. and to be listening to the Holy Spirit among their neighbours. So not just yeah. with each other. So there's a kind of an integral outward facing posture that's at the heart of what what I think God is calling us to return to. You know, we've yeah. got so sidetracked over the decades and the hundreds of years, you know, and we've kind of lost what it was that Jesus was trying to show us in the way. And yeah. and this is what I feel, um, it's actually all there in, in great detail in Catholic social teaching, if people want it to know is, yeah. about, you know, the political economy and why it's so important for churches to be relational and uh, and to have a role in relationship with the neighbouring institutions, which makes civil society thrive. And so when you were saying earlier about Christendom, you know, it's no coincidence that um, the unravelling in in social and political and economic terms is happening, you know, at the same time as the church, because mm-hmm. the church is meant to have that kind of role. Yeah. You know, it's a vocation, it's a calling. And so if if there's some, it's it's exciting to hear that this hunger that you're detecting on the ground is so pronounced, because... As you write, I mean I I know exactly what you mean, that sense of being on your knees and saying, This is this is too much, I can't do this anymore. It is at that point of brokenness mm-hmm. that the light gets in. And it, it does seem to me that um that God is doing something in a way of humbling the church, to um recognize its need for others, and particularly you know, as Pope Francis often is talking about the need for for poor people who tend to know the need for others better than the mm-hmm, affluent. Mm-hmm. So there's yeah. a gift there that the Church, I think, has been missing a trick on by becoming more and more estranged from poor people and becoming more and more middle class. I yeah. don't know what you think about that kind of angle of looking at things, but when we were yeah. doing up, you know, our theme of Egypt, um, I remember when you and I were talking. You were saying that resonated with you. I'd love to hear your thoughts on on that bigger backdrop and how it fits. How the church fits into all of that.
2: Yeah, I just, Like, I just feel like there's such a repentance needed on every level because I, I just think you know we we have the most beautiful, rich writings, as you say, in Catholic social teaching, in evangelization, and and all of this stuff, and yet our lived cultural reality just like just so often just does not reflect it it's so easy to write this stuff and so hard to actually um change our practice so that we so that we live it and and so yeah I just I I just recognize the the need you know for each of us to repent really in in that space um and 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 just on the relationship piece as well I, I just recognize that in our in our world today, um, just um, just the 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 growing inability that that we have for, for for relationship with each other and and if the church was going to be um you know like like how can we as the church be you know an educator in humanity like in just how to be human like mm-hmm. at just the very basic level mm-hmm. you know because everyone simulated relationships that we have on on in social media. Um, are just so much easier than real relationships right so people opt for the simulated relationship but in in a simulated relationship no one sees you like no one sees who you really are no one knows you no one um sees you in your brokenness and and loves you anyway and you know I, I think the church can can and and needs and is called cool to be that that reality where where we where we train people it's a training ground for, for real relationship. You know, what does that, what does that look like? Um, yeah. And relationship with everybody, you know, so it's not just relationship with our clique or, or whatever, but, but as you say, with, with the poor, um, with, um, you know, the people that we wouldn't naturally, um, yeah, that we wouldn't naturally click with or, or, or otherwise, um, connect with, you know, I, I I just think, that that is that is the that that's that's the gift of the church to the world, right? Um, to truly be that sign. So, As I yeah.
1: uh, I, I listen to your um, your descriptive words, and 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 I'm asking, so what is divine renovation about? That's one of the words that comes up over and over again. It's about it's about rebuilding, reconnecting the relationships of God's people and the places where they mm. live. That's the first thing I hear. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: the, the second thing I hear is it's it's bringing new kinds of forms or imaginations of leadership to clergy and others. Uh, you talk mm-hmm. about some of that. And then the third thing I hear is this, uh, the, the role and the place of the Holy Spirit in the midst of it all. Mm. Um, the... Um, So those sound to me like the three primary directions or prongs of divine renovation. And that um, that it has come into the Catholic Church at this moment when, to use our language, there is this massive unraveling. There's this awakening to being caught up in an Egypt of all kinds of things and so people are hungry and ready. Yeah. And that's what divine renovation is up to and doing. Does that does that sound right?
2: Yeah, precisely. I think it's it's a particular moment yeah. that something has been birthed yeah. which is which is new and and the speed with which it's growing, we know that this is not of us. We're just we're um we're 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 riding a wave. I think that yeah. that somehow is being created by the Holy Spirit, and just trying to be obedient to to how God is um, leading um, in the, in that way. So, so yeah.
1: the so now this is me, a Protestant asking you. So, and I'm not asking you to be an expert in Protestantism. I I can go I can go back to the 80s and the 90s, and I can do what I said at the beginning and I can talk about the renewal movements in the church which were all about relationship and connection Mm -hmm. I can talk about all of the new forms of leadership that were being developed and thought about and I can talk about the charismatic renewal that was going on and all of that created lots of energy and excitement and in 2023 none of it amounted to anything Um, and I wonder whether in the Catholic Church, as this is happening, there is there would be place to reflect upon what happened to our Protestant brothers and sisters, and what can we learn from that uh, in the midst of right, this. Right, yeah. yeah.
2: Oh, for sure, for sure. It, it's, it is interesting how, um, you know, movements, happen in different ways and then are repeated again in, in, in other parts of the church. And I find it fascinating. And, and we, we actually have, um, so one of our coaches is a Wesleyan pastor. So, and we have other Protestants on our staff as well. Like, uh, you know, so much of Father James Mallon's, um, inspiration has been, has been through, through, um, Protestant churches of different kinds. Right. And so, so there is, there is a lot of learning I know for us to, for us to do, for us to do there. Um, I just, yeah, I think la- when you think about lasting impact of something like, like a movement like this, ultimately lasting impact is in individual lives. Very much it? so, yeah. You know, and, and if, if, if a person has, um you know, in- encountered Jesus and had a life, you know, changing um experience of, you know, the, the love of God and that, ha- that has changed the direction of their life, then... Then you know that's that I think that's that's the lasting impact of something like this. But
1: that that that's a very Protestant statement, Hannah, if I could push a little <laughs> bit. Um, because and th- this gets back to Catholic social teaching. It, it, yeah. it is about the transformation of a culture because we, we've, spent, yeah. we've spent almost an hour talking about the way in which the culture that we dwell in creates this isolation, this individualism, and this brokenness. And yeah. so this, this movement and this renewal has it's got to have something to do with how do you fundamentally change the culture in which we live. And uh, now right. no, please don't misunderstand me. That's <laughs> it's a huge thing. Uh but 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 god god the spirit is as much about transforming the systems in which we live as anyway i'm just interacting with what you're saying
2: yeah no i love it i love it. so I, I did my my phd in in social, so sociology and um, and we were, we talked about um you know change has to have three kind of aspects to it you know one is structural one is cultural and one is to do with personal agency and so I think you've got you've got to have all of all three in play because, of course, no cultures are going to change unless individual people change. And we often start with that with with divine renovation, you know,
1: or people in relationship with one another.
2: Right? Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: I, I'm what What I'm doing is I'm I'm struggling with this individual pe- yeah. piece because I I, yeah. I haven't met that individual. Uh,
0: yeah, I think it's I think you're raising an interesting question there, Al, because I mean that was it was on my mind too, is um the personal salvation element of evangelization um is of an in- individualistic model. But if you're saying people are coming to an awareness of the Holy Spirit in relationship with others, in a discipleship journey with others, then that's yeah. that's different. That's fantastic. But then the the critical piece for me is: are they in relationship with the place where they live and their neighbours? Mm-hmm. Because if they're not, then it's still a private club. Yeah, you know, there's there's something very important about. And this is something I've learned from Al. Is you know, listening to God in the neighbourhood right. the way the way you put right. it is um, yeah. that God is at work everywhere, not just in the church, not just in the congregation. And so it doesn't make sense not to listen to yes. what's happening in yeah. the neighbourhood and developing that attentiveness to notice. And it's a skill, after as you said, after all, learning about yeah. the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is and how how it works. Yeah. Um once you develop that that ability to um be attentive and anyone can learn it, it's not like you have to de- have a degree or anything um then then you learn to be um listening at a certain kind of in a certain kind of way where you live, and that that's the piece i'm I'm interested in and to hear you explore a bit um beyond the the personal salvation piece you know what what happens to that community of people um Mm -hmm. you know the where everything becomes an opportunity for communion you know the the life of the congregation how does that spill out into the neighborhood how does the neighborhood spill in to the congregation you know where 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 are the boundaries being blurred so that the people of god Mm -hmm. become you know like jeremiah 29 7 they're actually living within the reality of their neighbor's lives
2: yeah Yeah, I love that vision that you're sharing, Jenny. Yeah, I I love it. And and again, you know, like I can't wait wait to see like more maturing of that because because I I you know I think that's the um you know that that's yeah it's the it's the mature expression of 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 the of the beginnings that we're beginning to see um probably Mm. I what I love about this is you know when people um when there's that kind of um, communal, like waking up in a parish when people kind of discover um, discipleship um, and and then they start to discover or, or starts to manifest like their own personal charisms of the Holy Spirit. And so evangelization isn't something kind of You know, or kind of centrally organised. You know, it's 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 um, people discovering discovering their unique giftedness, and that's going to spill out in all kinds of ways, and and through all kinds of um, of relationships as well. So, um, yeah. So 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 yeah, it's just it's beautiful to see like how how that will unfold. I think in the parishes that we're working with.
1: Hannah, thank you for. the the wonderful spirit in which you bring this description of this renovation process. Uh, It's the beginning of something. And we'd love to stay in touch Mm. and see how the spirit is shaping. So thank you so much uh, for being with us today. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Thanks
0: for listening to Leaving Egypt. We look forward to you joining us again on the next episode. In the meantime, you can find out more at togetherforthecommongood.co.uk.
1: And you can find me on alanroxburgh.com.
0: And do check out Leaving Egypt on Substack
1: too. This podcast is brought to you by Together for the Common Good and the Missional Network.
0: Thanks for joining us on today's episode. If you've liked what you've heard, please subscribe wherever you'd normally listen to your podcasts. And we'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review us
1: on Apple Podcasts. So that's it from us. I'm Al Roxburgh. And I'm Jenny Sinclair. Thank you so much for listening. God bless and see you soon.